This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, it turns out the big bad wolf is not so bad after all, as City met a red hot Arsenal team head on and sent them careening out of the cup. But can we take much optimism from another underwhelming performance from the Blues? We're here to answer that question and plenty more. It's Monday, January 30th. I'm Adam Booker. I'm Andrew Detmer. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Welcome back into the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City coverage. Hello Andrew, welcome back to the show. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. I was with some friends in the wonderful American city of Chicago and had some Lovely. great drinks, um, caught a lot of the FA Cup action, just kind of in bits and pieces, not really consistently watching any one game, but it was overall a good weekend. And then uh, on my drive back, listened to uh, the, the Wrexham match, which may have been the uh, match of the weekend. Yeah, it looked like it. Wrexham is obviously such a, a hot talking point in the American soccer sphere at the moment. Uh, very, very polarizing club, in the, which is very funny because they're a non-league team in Wales in a city that probably 99% of the people fighting over them have never been to or couldn't find on a map. But they are quite the story at the moment. Yeah, it's it's deeply funny that they have somehow become a beacon for just every cultural war uh, in the American soccer space has yeah Yeah, it's really funny all right well why don't we move on to a much bigger much more important club and that is manchester city football club um felt like a little bit of a bittersweet friday evening beating arsenal because on one hand you knock a big six opponent out of the cup you move on to the next round you kind of get one up on you know the team that it looks like we should be going head to head for with the premier league title over the premier league title sorry but 
it just felt like another lackluster performance where you get the win, very good goal, great assist from Jack Grealish, great finish from Nathan Ake, but the final whistle goes and you kind of say, meh, that happened. And you just kind of move on from there. It felt stale again. It felt like an opportunity to maybe get a bunch of momentum going. And I feel like every week now we're saying this is an opportunity to get momentum going. And every week we come back and say, oh, here's another another opportunity to do it. So what did you make of that Arsenal match overall? Because like I said, there the result, the big picture is positive. But when you really look at the way the game played out, it felt like just another week in this this stale era of City at the moment. Yeah, when I did the match preview with Amos and, oh no, was it David? I don't remember who else it was. I now feel terrible that I don't remember who it was. I think it was um, you, Ali, and Amos. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was Ali. I just couldn't remember. Sorry, Ali. Um, when we talked about what this match meant, I said, it's not really the result that matters at all. It's how both sides of fans feel coming out of it. And for me, I don't feel great about City coming out of this. And if I'm an Arsenal fan, I feel pretty good about the fact that City put out a lineup of kind of most of our guys you think would start against them in a couple weeks' time. And they didn't put out the lineup that'll start in a couple weeks' time. And City barely won. And for large parts of that match, Arsenal were clearly the better side. Um, Pep again played a weird formation that seemed to focus on control, but put players not in their best positions. Uh, I would argue that putting John Stones as a right center back in a back three contributed to potentially why he went off injured because he was having to cover more ground than he should. It just—it feels like Pep is just continuing to tinker and just we can't build momentum because it's never the same team. It's never the same guys. It's never the same game plan. And it just, it feels like we are maybe getting results, but not with enough confidence that I'm like, yeah, this, I feel good about where we're headed. Well, I think we're getting results just because we have some incredible players in this team. Yeah. You know, if, if, um, if this was a team that didn't have much individual quality, we'd be looking at, um, an Everton type season at the moment. And I think that that sounds really, really harsh, but when, when you watch Everton at the moment, they don't have quality and they don't have a system that wins them games or keeps them in games at the moment. It's God, I hope one of these world-class players does something to get us over the hump. And to be fair, it happens quite often. That's why we're still in a title race. It's why we're in the the last 16 of the, the uh, champions league. We're going deep in the FA cup. So, you know, it works enough. I think to be fair on Pep, because we've criticized him a ton on this show for the, for exactly what you said, the constant tinkering, making it harder for, for players to build up momentum and get back into form. When we hear things coming out of the camp from both Pep and players that the, the general attitude of the team at the moment is not there, and, and as they put it, the guts, the passion, the desire, and, and the kind of the general mood of the team is not very good. It probably makes it a lot harder for Pep to pick a team because he may look at Jao Cancelo and Kyle Walker and Bernardo Silva and say, what I really want this team to be doing would be better executed by those guys. But at the moment, I can't give them the playing time because of their attitude in training or their attitude in games or whatever it may be. And so it feels like at the moment, we're not picking the best team to win games. We're picking the happiest team or the team that... Um, 
has the best attitude or is showing the most mm-hmm. in training. And that's great. I want those players to be rewarded. But at a certain point, you do have to get some of the guys that win you games and win you titles back into the fold. But I don't know, where if you were Pep in this situation, are you just desperately trying to get these guys back on the pitch, like your Bernardo Silva's, your Phil Foden's? We don't quite know what's going on with him. That's that's another story. But um, or are you kind of more focused on just being like, well, if you're not going to give me the right attitude, then this is the way forward. I think you can have the stance that Pep is taking up to a point, but I th- we are approaching a situation where it's no longer going to be acceptable for him to say, I am only going to play the happy players. Not every player on your team has to like you as a manager. You don't have to like every player on your team. It it is useful to have a team of happy. Everyone's pulling in the same direction, but we're talking about elite athletes who are hyper competitive, who oftentimes much like Pep himself are weird dudes. And I know Pep has this fixation on body language and attitude. And, you know, if you don't show me that you're happy and everything, every single minute of the day, I'm not going to play you. But we can't sacrifice our ability just to prove a point when it is, if it's one player, sure. But we're talking like five, six, seven players that apparently have issues. Pep has to figure out why are all these guys having this issue and why is the desire gone and fix that, not... Oh, I'm just going to play the guys who don't have that issue. It's no, no, no. Your j- number one job is fix the guys who are unhappy. And I think at a certain point with, when you look at the list of players that have kind of been on the outside looking in Kyle Walker, Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, um, you know, Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva, you look at these guys and you think, these are like senior international players that have proven to Pep time and time again that they can be trusted. And at a certain point, you have to be like, you've proven it to me for year on year that you can do it, and you got to just get them back into the fold. I think back to uh, the 2018-19 season when Kyle Walker had a horrible couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, and he got totally dropped, just totally out of the picture. And Danilo came in, and it kind of helped spark that that resurgence that led to chasing down Liverpool and eventually overtaking them. And I think back to things like that and you know he maybe it wasn't body language, maybe it was just form then, but at a certain point you do have to be like these guys are 28, 29, 30 year olds. These aren't my kids right out of the academy that I'm not happy with, you know, their attitude and how they're training. It's it's guys that have been doing it for 15 years at this level. 10 years at this level. And at a certain point, you've got to just put the trust in them that if you get them back into the fold, they will kind of revive themselves. But if you're telling a, what, 31, 32-year-old Kyle Walker, you haven't trained well for a couple of weeks and therefore you are exiled from seeing the pitch, that's not going to go over well with a senior international player. It's one thing if you're doing it to a 21-year-old, He's got all the time in the world to, you know, change his attitude. But a guy like Kyle Walker or, or Cancelo or Laporte or Diaz, it's not really going to work with guys like that, is it? And it's also not going to work with the rest of the squad when they see guys that have been consistently driving this club to the titles and the success that it has had being treated that way. Leaders. Over maybe like a couple a couple of bad training sessions or one bad match. Like you're going to be like, well, what? 
what did anything we've done for you these past five years mean if you just throw it all out the moment that we have a bad attitude one day in training? It It's almost like, and apologies to our English listeners, but you see some of these coaches from college football who are incredible and then they go to the NFL where the players are suddenly making more money than them and are grown adults and they're no longer good because they can't get away with just treating their players like they're 18 to 22 year old kids, which in college works because they are kids. They're not going to be there that long, but you can't go to a guy like Tom Brady and who has won so many titles and be like, you got to do exactly what I say. Cause I'm the coach and I'm no, like that is your colleague just as much as it is your player on your team. And I think something maybe we're seeing now is that across the sport generally, I think players are less likely to want to be in these environments where it's super restrictive and it's just like a harsh manager. You're seeing younger managers be really successful because they can connect with this next generation of player who came up in an incredibly different atmosphere and approach to the game. And I don't think it, I'm, I'm not saying Pep is past his point where he can be a good manager, but I think what Pep is struggling with is for some of these younger players, like you can't just be like, nah, you don't get to, you know, play because you aren't always this super professional, happy player who just says, yes, sir. And then go and do exactly what I told you. Like, no, that is an adult male who is allowed to express a difference of opinion with you. And just because he has a different opinion doesn't mean that you should exile him from the team. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. All right, let's let's kind of put the microscope back on the Arsenal game. Um, obviously, going into it, so much of the talk was, well, what can we take from this game and and use it against them in the league, the, the two league ties coming up? Um, it felt like not much is the answer to that, especially given the fact that they played a somewhat rotated lineup. You know, you look at Rob Holding, Tamiasu, uh, Vieira, Trussard, um, Kieran Tierney. Tierney. Yeah, guys that don't tend to start all that often. They did have some key players in there like Partey, Gabriel, and Ketia, Saka, although I, I didn't realize that Saka played. Um, but what, if anything, can we take from this game and uh, going into these league games? Because for me personally, the one thing I did take out of it was that City do have the ability to control games. And, and while it may be really boring and really hard to watch. And some of the buildup play is excruciatingly slow. A team like Arsenal that is so good at getting momentum up and getting a buzz through this team that they kind of seem like untouchable. City might be the perfect opponent for that because they can take the wind out of the sails of any game. And that's kind of what they've done. And unfortunately, they're doing it to themselves too and they can't get the wind going in their own sails. But at the same time, if you stink the place out in two league games and get a draw and a win, you know, you're back in the title race. So so what can we take from this game, a somewhat boring game, a somewhat lackluster game, but what can we take from it going into these two league ties? You know, obviously, Arsenal looked better in the first half uh, than they did in the second half. And so I think it makes it a little hard. And then you have all these other players come on from Arsenal. So I think it makes it hard. I think one thing, though, is to your point on control and also our defense. Both did play really well. Like you said, Saka basically did nothing. And Ketia didn't really have much. Um, Partey, when he went off, like Arsenal's kind of midfield lost Rumbled, yeah. any ability to 
have any sense of control or also any connection between the defense and the midfield and Holland was just kind of pulling them apart. So I think there are things there that Pep's going to look at and see this is how you attack and pull apart this team. But I don't think anything close to the lineup we played in this FA Cup match or the approach that Pep took to it should be the approach at all for either of these two league games. Um, Because essentially we won because Nathan Ake put in a right-footed curler uh, from not an insignificant distance that was 0.05 XG before the shot. Like that is not, that's not how you want to score goals, particularly when you have a guy like Erling Holland up top. So take some of the lessons on control. And I think realize that if you can control the ball, it takes a lot of wind out of Arsenal's ability to attack because they want to have the ball and kind of be coming at you in waves. So if they don't get to do that for 15 minutes, I think some of those younger players drop a little bit. But you got to have more chances than I think we created like 0.75, 0.51. We created half an expected goal. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, not to just keep spinning the, the negative wheels here, but I think for me, if, if anybody takes anything out of this game, it's Arsenal. And they say, yeah, if we had Odegaard on the pitch, if we had Saliba on the pitch, if we had Zinchenko yeah. on the pitch, I mean, we could steam these guys. Like this, this is the team that's supposed to be, you know, closing what an eight point gap. Um, yeah. That's what I would be taking out of this if I was Arsenal. And look, by the time those league ties come around, I think it's what February fifteenth is the first one. Maybe City yeah. get their act together. I think what we only play Tottenham in that time, or do we have two games before that Arsenal game? Let me look here at the schedule. I think it's just we have the Spurs, and then the next one is the Arsenal game because that's a, a midweek left for um, FA Cup replay. Actually, so we we have Villa at home in between the two in, in the okay. league. Um, so, you know, that's 180 minutes of football to try and figure things out. One thing I will say as far as a positive, I thought that after the introduction of Bernardo Silva and Kyle Walker, I thought they looked really lively in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the game, I actually thought Kyle Walker had a really big influence on City holding on that kind of last 10, 10 to five minutes when, when Arsenal did come in waves a little bit. Um, that is very good news, especially given the fact that John Stones goes out with an injury. Um, if we can get Kyle Walker back into the fold, as we mentioned, if we can get Bernardo Silva back in the fold, as we mentioned, that's only going to be positive. Um, so, yeah, I think there are a few positives to take. If you had to pick out one specific positive from the city point of view from this game, what would it be? How dangerous Alvarez looked when he came on. And I think that he should be in the starting 11 for every match from now until we get all of the others, those other players we mentioned kind of fit and firing and back in the team again. Because I think he just bring something that we were lacking on the pitch before he came on against Arsenal. Yeah, totally agree with that. Alvarez was uh, very lively and, you know, I, I put a message in our group chat kind of immediately after full time saying, you know, whatever way you can get, get that guy on the pitch going forward. Um, because in a very stale team, he is a, a constant lightning rod. So um, that'll do for part one. In part two, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about city's defense and how we would set it up going forward. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am joined by Andrew Detmer. Andrew, 
horrible news with John Stones going down with an injury. You absolutely hate seeing players grab at any muscles, especially a hamstring, and go down. And you know the look on his face was immediately needs to go straight down the tunnel. Um, especially when race, it's a top five center back in the world. Yes, one who has a long history of dealing with muscular issues as well. Um, yeah. Where do we go forward? How do we go forward with this city defense? Because Laporte seems to be kind of getting back into the swing of things. Ruben Diaz, just I'm not sure what the issue is, if there's something going on in training. Um, a lot of us kind of thought he was nailed on to start this game to try and get that Stones-Diaz partnership going again in a time when City have looked a little bit soft in defense when they've you know really had a team coming at them. Nathan Ake seems to be kind of locking down that left-back spot. Akanji has... Very good moments, some not so good moments. Where do we go with the defense from here? Because I think at the moment with City controlling games and just kind of trying to to eke out one and two nil wins, the defense has a lot more importance now than maybe it ever once did. Um, so if you had to play a game tomorrow and you're Pep Guardiola, how are you setting up that back four? So... I'm going to preface this by saying, since we don't know what's the issue with Diesh is, I'm going to assume that he's fit because I feel like we would, if it was a, that he can't play, we would know that. But I mean, he was in the squad, so clearly he can play. For me, if John Stones isn't ready to go, I'm playing a Kanji and Diesh as my center back pairing, Ake as my left back, and Rico Lewis as my right back. No Laporte. I don't – so here's the issue. I don't think that Akanji and Laporte are a good duo together. I think that neither of them are vocal and confident enough as leaders in the back line that you may you don't run into issues. Like I, They as a pairing don't make me super stoked. So no Diaz and Laporte? I could go. You could convince me on Diaz and Laporte. The reason I went with a Kanji though is, if you're gonna have Rico going into kind of this inverted right back position, a Kanji being a little bit faster and rangier on that right side, and Diaz as the left back next to Ake, like I think that works a little bit better. Yeah, I get that. I think for me, I'm st- I'm still hung up on wanting to see a natural back four, and when. That is yeah. the case. Laporte is just such a vital part of the way that City play because I don't think there's a center back on earth that hits the range of passes that he no. can. Um, and I think that's really necessary right now in a time when the midfield, the, the buildup we're getting in midfield is really slow and really kind of uninventive. That if we have Laporte, you know, pinging balls out to Mares on the right hand side or or out to Foden on the right-hand side, whoever it may be. That gets City going forward a lot quicker in a way that we haven't seen in a while. Diaz, for me, is a weird one because clearly something is going on behind the scenes. I mean, I just can't imagine that he's just purely out of favor from a footballing point of view because he's been City's most important center back for about two years from a leadership point of view, from a pure defensive point of view. Obviously, there's other center backs that do more with the ball. But if you get Laporte on, you get him pinging passes out, and you get Diaz on to organize things, I think that's your best bet as far as a center back pairing goes. And 
And on the flanks, I think Ake's nailed on. It's a shame. I want Cancelo to be back in there. He give he gives you so much going forward. Clearly, there's something going on with Cancelo. Um, and then on the right, it's hurting my heart. Kyle Walker being out of the fold because yeah, he's such an important guy. He's such an important leader. His pace, his power, his ability to overlap. It's so vital to the way that City plays. And I've been saying for years now that I think up until Erling Holland, he's the most important signing of the Pep Guardiola era. And I will continue mm-hmm. to stand by that. Um, I'm not ready for the, the Kyle Walker era to be over. So if I were playing a game tomorrow, I think I'd be putting, and this is the thing, this is me not getting to see into training and see who's acting yeah. what way. I'd be putting Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Laporte, and Nathan Ake out there. And I think that's a a uh, group of four that if you get them going and in sync, it's one of the more formidable defensive units in, in Europe. Yeah, I think that's completely accurate. And I, I agree with you. I think that's what I would go with if I'm thinking more long-term or trying to get it going. Um I, Which we have to, right? Like, I mean, eventually, yeah. eventually, the chopping and changing has has to end. It has to yeah, end. No, you and, and you and I agree on this. Like, if if you don't get it going, you're looking at players that some of your most important players just aren't going to be playing for twenty odd more games. Yep, a hundred percent, and it's it's insanity. And I also think that our issues in defense of not being consistent and having this pairing, and it's no one knows what role they're playing is causing things further up field to break down. And because of that, Pep is making us more conservative up top to account for us not being as good at the back. And that's just, we're, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot again and again. So I get that we have a bunch of center backs that need to play it, but like, well, one of them's basically our only left back right now. So one is out of the, just find the best two that work as pairing at this point, And they should be playing, 80% of the matches from here on out and stick Rodri as defensive mid pick two midfielders that work together and complement Rodri and complement each other. And then right now it's Mares and uh, Grealish on either side of the striker. And like, that's what we should be rolling with. Yeah. I think eventually you've just got to take the risk of trying to get something cohesive going and consistent and, it may not turn out well. It may turn out that Bernardo Silva is just too out of form and out of sorts with his, you know, plans to move to Barcelona. He may be spending all of his time on apartments.com in Lisbon or whatever it may be. <laughs> and, you know, Kyle Walker is maybe not recovered from his fitness issues and just hasn't gotten things going. But at a certain point, you have to take the risk of getting something cohesive going and just letting it ride. And it's either going to get you to the point that you know you can get to, which is a cohesive, swashbuckling, dominant football team, or you are a stale team that relies on individual brilliance. And that's what we've seen for three or four months now anyways. So it's like there's not really a downside to just picking 13 guys to take you in either direction because – I mean, yes, it can get worse. We know as City fans, it can get much worse. But when you look at the talent available to the manager 
at the moment, I find it hard to think that it could get much worse because we are scraping, scraping, scraping by in these games. Yeah, and I I would much rather go down swinging than just limp along and hope it somehow improves despite not doing anything to really give it a chance to improve. And it's the same thing when I'm playing indoor. Like we, if we're down three goals, I'm like, guy, I don't care if we give another six. Just let's actually try to win this game rather than just accept. Oh, let's not lose by too much. And it feels like what's happened now is the city team is, well, we're just we can't hit the heights that we were hitting at the beginning of the season for some unknown reason, and now we're just going to not take the risk to try to get back to those heights, and we're just going to try to accept a lower, much lower ceiling to hope that we have a much higher floor. Take the risk that the full, the bottom falls out. I really don't care. We're not going to get relegated. We're not going to miss out on Europe. Go, like, let's just go for it. Well, it's it's the Tottenham game, isn't it? It's finally a team gave yeah. City no choice but to come out of their shell and play football and not try and control things because they didn't have the option to anymore because they had a two-goal deficit. And right. what do you know? Julian Alvarez, Jack Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, Ilkay Gundogan, they're classy footballers. They'll win you games mm-hmm. if you just let them out of their shell a little bit. So yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there. Ap- apologies to the listeners who came here for reveling in a victory over Arsenal and we spent 28 minutes just kind of shitting on this City team at the moment. Um, it's not going to get much better because coming out tomorrow, Amos and I have a fairly in-depth look at the Etihad Stadium atmosphere at the moment and kind of what's gone wrong there with some of the weird, weirdly quiet atmospheres we've seen lately. Um, So keep your eyes out for that tomorrow. That's Tuesday. But anyways, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully this was cathartic for some people as it it was for us. Um, Andrew, any last words? Nope. Uh, Always a pleasure chatting with you, Adam. You too. See you. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 